you have your Bibles, take them to the little epistle of Jude. Uh, it's been my habit on Mother's Day to preach something along the lines to our mothers, but not particularly this year. We're going to stay with our exposition of the book of Jude that we started last week. Last week we, we looked at the identification of Jude. Jude was uh, identifying the characters that are related to his little epistle. We looked at the Savior, we looked at the saints, we looked at the subversive members that had infiltrated the church of the living God. And so he identified several of the key, uh, the key actors or players in his letter. But today, we're going to look at, at Jude's observations. What is Jude seeing as he... He wanted to write upon the, the common salvation, but something that he saw in the church alarmed him to such a degree as to put pen to paper to write about, about these, uh, these infiltrators in the church. What is exactly he seeing in the church of the living God? And so we're going to look at these observations I'm going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter, but we're going to focus in on verses 5 through 11. But we're going to look at these observations. But I'm going to pick up reading in verse number 1, read down through verse number 11. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You ought to read that every other day. Preserved in Jesus Christ. What a... What a term. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's his premise. That's what he wants the end result to be, to contend for the faith. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our new portion we're going to look at today. Verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, uh, under darkness unto the judgment of the great day even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner in like in, in like excuse me in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the body, or excuse me, with the devil, as he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not 
bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The observation of Jude. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. These are difficult passages to express uh, and to discern. God, give us wisdom as we try to understand exactly what Jude is seeing in the, in the church, how it ties to the past a revelation of Scripture and how it applies to the present day, not only in the day of Jude, but in our day and time. What we can relatively easily see happening in the church, in the living God, in society as a whole, and in our nation. God, I pray that you'd give me clarity of mind, that you'd help me to be able to convey this truth. But all is vain, and bless the Holy Spirit, take the truth of God, and convict the heart, deal with our heart. As I, as I said earlier, God, we want you to do heart work in us. We don't want to leave having had a check mark of a message and, and sing some songs and, and done some activities of worship. God, we want you to speak to our hearts. We want you to find us where we are. God, I pray that we would take this as good medicine for our our hearts and lives, to be aware of what's going on around us and be immunized against it. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Everything old is new again. There's also a French proverb that says, the more things change, what? The more they stay the same. It's funny how that things in popular culture have a way of coming around again and being popular and trendy after they've gone out of style years ago. The styles that were considered cool when I was a kid are coming back into fashion. I don't wear a tie. I've loosed myself from the bondage of wearing ties, but I have yet to throw them all out. Because they are a historical out, out, outline of, of the evolution of time. I've got ties going back to before when me and Carrie started dating. All, not that that's all that long ago, baby. I just, you know, it's not that. But I mean, I mean it's been a while. And, and I, you can see how they've gone from wide as a roadway to narrow to wide again. All in the passage of time. Uh, Grayson, my son, he... He came to me the other day and he's like, Dad, look at my new, look at my new uh, tennis shoes I got. Man, I like them. And I kid you not, I looked at them. I had the same Nikes in 1987. They've come back. I mean, exact same. I think this is the kind of the point that Jude is getting across, but without the humor. Jude is trying to say that what he's seeing in the church 
And what he's seeing played out among the people of God is no different than what has been seen in the Old Testament revelation, in the scriptures and stories of the Old Testament. You see, in this brief general epistle, he's wanting to write to the church about common salvation. What a thrilling subject. How that every one of us, including the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Himself, came by the way of the cross. All of us come by that same common way of faith in Jesus Christ. But he was compelled to write something different. He was urged by the Holy Spirit to address what he saw entering the church. False doctrine, false philosophies, false teachers and deceived believers. And in order to do so, in order to lay this out, he starts by warning them, starts his warning to them by looking at the past when it comes to deceivers and deceptions, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, there is nothing new under the sun. What's going on in his day could be observed in days gone by in the Word of God. And this is valuable for us because Satan may have new and different means, different instruments, different societal contexts by which he he tries to infiltrate the church of the living God, but his playbook never changes. It never changes. It's always the same. He always comes with the same old tactics. Here's another phrase you've probably heard. If we don't learn from history, we are doomed to what? Repeat it. And that's what Jude is doing. He's looking at the history. He's taking that history, laying laying it across the church of his day and showing them the error that they're following in is not new. And for us as well, showing us this error that's not new. And so that seems to be his premise. So I want us to look at these verses and take out of them three observations that Jude is seeing. Number one, I want you to see the biblical similarities that he saw. I don't know if you noticed it in this, in this text, but Jude's not getting hysterical, he's getting historical. He's going back to a lot of things in the past, a lot of Old Testament accounts and stories. And see, I want you to notice in uh, what what uh, uh, to notice what Jude does right here. Look at verse four. Verse four, he gives us in verse number four, he gives us the reasons for his letter. The God deniers, the Christ deniers, they're they're making their way into the church, and Jude is calling to the true church of God to contend. For the faith. But notice what he said in verse number 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the... And he goes on from there. But I want you to catch that, that phrase he opens up his argument with. He's saying, I want to put you in remembrance of certain things. I want to remind you of certain things. One of the aspects of the fall in the Garden of Eden is that we become a people that are very forgetful. As a matter of fact, the book of Deuteronomy um, 
is a book in which Moses is telling the people to remember. Remember what God says. You look for that theme, remember, remember. All through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is calling them back to remembrance. Lest they forget the word of God going into the new land. Lest they, they steer away from the word of God. He's reminding them. These things that we learn and become familiar with are covered over and forgotten with the passage of time. I, as a, as a preacher, as a communicator of God's Word, I, I try not to be too repetitious. Now, every now and then, you're going to find one of my favorite stories I tell more than once. But the reality is, I, I try, and when I communicate, try to use different themes and maybe different illustrations or, or approaches to God's Word to be able to, to keep things kind of new and not be so repetitious. But the reality is, is that I will teach, in essence, the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because we constantly have to be reminded. I remember in 2 Peter, how that 2 Peter said, it is needful that I remind you of these things again and again. And here... Jude is doing the same thing. He's reminding them of past truths. Jude is calling on biblical stories that are familiar to make his point. Notice first of all, he points to the unconverted. The latter part of verse number 5, having, he said, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Now, when he talks about saved here, we do no harm in the text by replacing it with a word like delivered because oftentimes when we think about saved, we think about God's salvation or, or the salvation that comes to the heart of a believer uh, that we stand in and are preserved in. But that's not exactly what he's saying here. He's going back to the people of Israel. Do you know how they were in Egypt's bondage? How that they... All of Jacob's children and sons, they went down to Egypt's land during the time of the, of the famine. And they stayed there under the protection of Joseph for many years. You know how the story goes, Joseph passed off the scene. And eventually over time the Jews became slaves to the people, to the Egyptians. And how they cried out and God sent a deliverer and he brought them out. Do you remember the story how... How that uh, all the plagues hit the land and eventually eventually uh, Pharaoh relented and let the people go. They go to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They cross over the same Red Sea. Drowns the armies of Pharaoh. You know that story? Well, that's who he's referring to here. Having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. You see, it's interesting to note when they were making their way out of Egypt's land, listen to what is mixed in with them. Exodus 12, 38. A mixed multitude went up also with them. So when the Hebrews' children left the promised land, you know how they, on the last plague, how they were to take the blood of the, of the lamb and they were to apply it to the lintel and the doorpost. Those would mark off the believers, those that have put their faith and trust in the blood of the Lamb to secure them from the final plague. These mixed multitude the next day decided that they would leave Egypt with this group. They are 
lumped in with them, but they are not of them. They have they they passed through the Red Sea. They've gone through to Mount Sinai. They've even come to the borderland of Canaan, but they are not the people of God. The only problem is, is they never came through the blood. They never came through the blood. How did the, remember how the last plague came and the little in the doorpost, they, they slipped in with the people of God. And they constantly, I believe, became the source of strife again and again and again with the children of Israel as they traveled to the promised land. They're the ones that pined after the leeks and onions. They're the ones uh, uh, that caused strife and contention and, and, and instigated all the complaints. They're the one that caused many, uh, they, they caused many blood-applied believers to die in the wilderness. Why? Because they came to the promised land and they would not believe God. You remember the judgment that God gave on all the people? How that that whole group would die in the wilderness? Jude is saying that what is going on in the church is it is being infiltrated by people who have never been to Calvary. Who've never been to the cross. Who's never had the blood applied. They've never believed on Jesus. They are unconverted. They are unsaved. They're unregenerate. Isn't that a cause for so much of the false teaching and the, and the wicked way that many churches have gone is because they don't have blood-bought members of the church. Years ago, in the 1700s, early in our country, in the 1600s, uh, religion was very much tied in with government. And, and the reality is in Many provinces, you couldn't be a citizen of that province until you had been baptized into the church. So that led to a lot of genuinely unconverted people filling the church. As a matter of fact, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher from the 1740s that God used in a great degree uh, as a proponent of the first great awakening, he was he did his best to try to Clear the churches of those that are unregenerate. Got him in a lot of hot water. There were things called like the half covenant. And I, 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 don't, want, I don't need to go dig, go down that rabbit hole. But there were myriad of ways in which unregenerate people were part of the church. And it was giving so many problems that he preached again. It was actually removed from his pastorate because of it. But we have... Too many in our churches today, and I, I think Billy Graham said it best, that uh, predominantly there are so many, um, uh, our churches are, are a mission field because there's so many unregenerate in our churches to begin with. I believe in verse number 5, that's what Jude is alluding to. There are those that have never been delivered. They've never been saved. They've never been regenerate. God, heart, action in us to make us a new creature. And they occupy the pews and, the, and direct the sentiment of the people of God. Just like, just like these, these hanger-ons out of Egypt land directed the sentiment of the people of God. Notice also, not only unconverted, but unholy people. 
unholy. Look at verse number 6. The angels which catch not their first estate, but let their own habitation, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Here's another example of biblical similarity. Satan and his angels. Isaiah 14 tells us that Lucifer was once the chief musician in heaven singing the praises of God. But he lifted up his heart in pride against God. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will, I will be like the Most High for this he was for this he was cast out of heaven. When you study the book of Revelation, you get to verse number 12, there is this allegorical view of biblical history. And in that it talks about how that one third of the angelic stars and the hosts of heaven were cast out along with Satan. I believe that's what is being alluded to here in Isaiah 14 and what and what uh, Jude is talking about in verse number 6 here. They lost their habitation because they were unholy. They lifted themselves up in rebellion against God. And for this they are reserved in chains of everlasting darkness awaiting the final judgment. Here are biblical characters that tasted the things of God. No one was closer to the things of God than these. They looked with unveiled face at the, at the sight of the throne of God, but in pride they exalted themselves above God. This is the example of those that have infiltrated the church. They have sampled, they've come close to the kingdom of heaven, and yet refused and rejected God's rule preferring to attempt to lift themselves above God. These are reserved in the chains of sin and bondage unto this day. So get the picture here. There are these hanger-ons that come out of Egypt's land and God had to destroy them. There are these angelic hosts that exalted themselves above God and God had to deal with them and place them in chains in eternal, in eternal torment. The picture is of those from the outside infiltrating the inside. John 6.36 brings it home to us. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. He's talking about these that didn't believe. Talk about these that exalt themselves above God and the condemnation that is to follow. Biblical similarities. Paul is, I mean, uh, Jude is trying to, he's trying to make his point to those that may be in that congregation that are not of that congregation. How they should fear the judgment of God. Unconverted, unholy, ungodly. Look at verse number 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, all end in judgment. What about these? This in verse number 7. There's a reference here to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know where that it comes in from 
the book of Genesis, how that these cities were places where Lot saw. They're profitable. There's good water. It's a good place to make a living. Lot goes down there with his family and gets way more than he bargained for. Because Sodom and Gomorrah were cities that eventually ended up in destruction because of, of their character, their sinfulness of those cities. A while back I was perusing the internet for looking for sermons on this same text and I found one guy that talked about how that Sodom and Gomorrah were once cities that enjoyed the blessing of God. But then they turned away from God in unbelief and they lost their blessing. I thought to myself, well that's putting it lightly. <laughs> I wouldn't consider raining fire and brimstone from heaven and destroying them in judgment losing a blessing. That's a little more than that. When it comes to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, many would prefer to tiptoe around the elephant in the room and point to the fact that they were unhospitable to strangers that came in and, and talk about their unbelief in God. You know as well as I know that the overt sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was the sin of fornication in general and the sin of homosexuality in particular. They gave themselves to ekpornoiu, 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 to be, which means to be utterly unchaste, to give oneself over to fornication and to sexual immorality. Then to further expose the sin, Jude uh, uh, the sin Jude they, they went after he says that they went after strange flesh what is meant here New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson said that the phrase strange flesh is horrible licentiousness not simply with women not their wives or in other nations but even unnatural uses for which the very word sodomy is used. Jude is being very explicit here in the overt sexual nature of those that raise themselves up above, above God's, uh, God's authority. They raise themselves over God's a standard for morality. Paul, Paul agrees with the same in Romans 1.27. And likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves the recompense of their heir which was meet. For this sin, Jude tells of how not only temporal judgment fell upon the cities of the book of Genesis, but eternal judgment fell upon them in the fires of hell. Make no mistake about it. The agenda of the apostate false teacher and false teaching is to undermine the authority of God in the realm of sexuality to give license to the most debased and depraved sinful sexual conduct. All you got to do is go down your feed and do a couple of searches and you'll find out that's happening all around the landscape of the religious Christian world. I, would, I, I, dare, I say Christian in quotes. 
it is happening all over. The mores of society, of the ungodly, are being pushed upon the church, are being pushed upon them to join the subversive agenda of a, of a world of sexual liberation. And Jude is expressly saying that for his day. This is what's going on in his day. To even a greater degree in our day. Like what John Phillips says related to the increase of sexual decadence and its relationship to the coming of Christ. He says this, the increasing tolerance of our society toward these ancient sins is an ominous ominous indication that we are standing on the doorstep of the apocalypse. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. God granted to be so. Here we see that, that there is biblical similarities. There is contention that leads, there's contention and, uh, uh, that leads in verse number 5 to being destroyed by God because of unbelief. There's unbelieving. Then there are these angels that want to lift themselves up above God. Then there are those in Sodom and Gomorrah where the sexual, the sexual iniquities are being forced upon the people of, of God and, 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 and seen in its societal lane here. Vengeance of fire falls upon them. These are biblical similarities. Jude is saying, this is what's happening. They're saying no to the word of God. The church is letting in those that have no saving faith and sexual mores of society are being thrust upon the church. Now, second of all, not only biblical similarities he saw, but the beastly qualities that he saw. Look at verse 8. Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile, themse- defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries, of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contended for the debt with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, the Lord rebuked thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. The beastly qualities that he saw. Have you ever heard of the term character assassination? It is defined as the malicious, unjustified harming of a person's reputation. As we read, it's it's like going after someone's character by lying about them. By telling untruths about them. It's character assassination. It's not a physical bullet of assassination it's character assassination as we read these verses in verses 8 through 10 we need to make sure that we understand that this is not character assassination of certain people in the church that they may have that may have differing views with Jude no he is performing character revelation He is revealing their character, not assassinating it. He is performing character revelation. This is not a rant about what he believes about a character of these, of of the character of these individuals. He is revealing what he knows through divine inspiration about these apostates. 
He's not just gossiping. He's telling what is absolutely true about these individuals. Notice first of all, in these beastly qualities we see a railing depravity. A railing depravity. Jude does not mince word in his epistle as so many are prone to do in these days. He's very direct. He connects the behavior of those in Sodom and Gomorrah with the behavior of those infiltrating the church. In verse number 8, likewise, likewise, just like that is happening here. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Now, the word filthy here is used by the translators in reference to the sin in the previous verse. So what is he talking about? That is that that strange flesh. That is that fornication. Giving themselves over to fornication. Strange flesh. That's what he's referring to. Filthy. Notice that he calls them dreamers. Filthy dreamers. The word dreamers here. Have you ever stood back and wondered how so-called Christian denominations and churches can come up with such ways of condoning biblically sinful behavior. I was recently, the Apologia Studios is, is a ministry that I follow. They've got a podcast. They've got all kinds of, of things that they do online. And the leader of that, which is a pastor of church out in, I believe, uh, Nevada, he had a debate with a TikToker guy who... It propounds a, a biblical view of homosexuality. That a, he, he, he states that as long as it's a, it's a monogamous, faithful uh, a relationship between two men and two women, that, that it, it, it's completely acceptable. And I heard these guys in the debate go after each other. You would not believe the contortions and the backflips and the qualifying that this man does of Old Testament passages to try to make them work and make homosexuality acceptable. I, I, I'm, I could not believe how he is, how he is resting or, or twisting the scriptures to try to make something acceptable. Taking a little bit from the culture of Egypt taking a little bit from the culture of the Canaanites, taking a little bit here, a little bit there, and trying to put those together as a backdrop of what Moses is saying to make Moses say what he wasn't saying at all. It's dreamt up. It's completely fictitious. They have left the guidelines and the truth and the revelation of God's Word, and they're just making it up. They've got their eyes closed. They conjure it up out of thin air just like a dream. They're just figments of the imagination. Notice also depravity. In verse, uh, in verse number, uh, number 8, the filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Notice their depravity. They defile the flesh. They contaminate the flesh. You know, sexually transmitted disease is pervert is a pervasive today. It's everywhere. Sexually transmitted disease. It is. It's been said that young people, a majority of young people that leave high school carry with them some form of sexually transmitted disease. 
the sexually permissive apostates caused the defiling not only of their own flesh, but the flesh of others. They also despise dominion. Okay, he talked about defile the flesh, but despise dominion. That word dominion means lordship. It means power. It means dominion, dominance. The word can also mean government. They have a disregard for the God-ordained powers that rule a nation. They refuse its laws. They overthrow its authority. Have we not seen that in society as a whole today? When you look at cities like San Francisco, which is basically a failed state, it is a failed state, a third world country. When you look at various, various um, district attorneys who will not uphold the law of the land and will not prosecute when someone clearly violates the law. You are looking at a society that has fallen in depravity, that has fallen into a case of which there is no, there is no a desire to uphold dominion, to see government orders. And the same is true in the house of God as well. It's happening in the church of God. They resent the rule of God, the rule of the Bible, and the rule of the church. They speak evil of dignitaries in, verse, in this verse. They vilify. They blaspheme that which is good. The word dignities means glory. So get this. That which is praiseworthy, that which is glorious, they vilify and they insult and disparage. That which is good, holy and right is disparaged, torn down and made to seem like it's wrong. It's just an upside-down world we live in. Isaiah 5.2, he says it best, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for, for bitter. I can't, think of, I can't think of any better, any better uh, analogy of this than the abortion meals that are so pervasive in our country today. If you think the Supreme Court ruling from last year uh, throwing out Roe versus Wade is the end of the fight, you are sadly mistaken. It has gone to the state level, and there is a, there is a, 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 a states are now going one way or another on abortion. It is dividing our country, and at the same time, they're calling it women's health for the betterment of women's health. For the goodness of women's health, there should be abortive, abortive drugs, abortifacient drugs, and, and abortions be everywhere, even paid by the government. They call that good, and pro-life, that's evil. Upside down. They call evil good, and good evil. I don't even know where I am anymore. We see... Uh, yeah, then, uh, then Jude gives an illustration that is, not only no, uh, that is only known to him. Look at verse number 9. And Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. I, I think this is an illustration. This is not in your Bible. If you're going to look in the Old Testament, you're going to find it. 
Where did, where, did, uh, where did you get it? Divine revelation. I don't know. Peter and Paul did the same thing. They have things in their scriptures that are divine revelation given to them by the Holy Spirit, quotations from the Old Testament. But here we find that he's talking about something that took place where uh, the point of the story is that the mighty angel Michael did not bring a vilifying accusation against the devil when he rightly could have. He was almost, I mean, almost respectful. You read the contents of that verse, he's almost respectful to the devil. But he rightly could have brought accusation against him, but did not. He left it to God. Not so with the people of, in the church. Not so. They bring railing accusation after railing accusation against those that are in leadership. Now listen to this. I am no, uh, I am no dictator. I am, I am, I am, I'm not placed here as a dictator. You have every right. If I steer away from the word of God to bring accusation against me. But that's not what's happening in a lot of places. There's being, there being railing accusations against church leadership. And so we have ra- railing depravity. We have repulsive personality. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Jude sums up this beastly qualities by saying they speak evil of things which they don't know anything about. I mean, you, you, you can find pervasive videos on YouTube of people just lamb-blasting the church, just lamb-blasting its sand on homosexuality, on women's rights, on any number of things, and they've never read the Bible. They, they, they have no idea what they're talking about. If anything, the Bible raises women up to a stature unheard of in the first century. But they'll they'll rail against the Bible, they'll rail against Christianity, they'll point to the they'll point to the the Crusades. Oh, how horrible the Crusades were in the Middle Ages. They'll say, Oh, that's awful. Though all those all those people going down there and killing people in the Middle East. I'm telling you, if it hadn't happened, we'd be in a mosque right now. Islam would have taken all of Europe had not those crusades taken place. Wrong or right, I don't know. But they took place and because of that, we're in a church and not a mosque this morning. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they don't know anything about the truth of God's word. So many that scoff at the resurrection of Jesus Christ never look at its merits. They are willfully blind. Their their unbelief has given Satan free course to blind their eyes. They only know what they naturally deduce. They naturally deduce. Isn't that the whole world's thinking and philosophy? These two men here, they're not not hurting nobody. This, this, uh, you know, if, if if a man feels like deep down he's a woman... And it's perfectly fine for him to dress like a woman, talk like a woman, act like a woman. Jude calls such people brute, irrational, unthinking, unreasonable animals. They follow their urges. They, they follow their stomach. They've lost all, all insight or respect for the authority 
of what is good for the flourishing of society. Not to mention God's Word, but for the flourishment of society. If they had their way, in 50 to 60 years, society would collapse upon itself. Repulsive personality. Finally, last point. Basic identity he saw. Verse number 11. Uh, Verse number 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. I'm sure many of you have seen cop shows. I, I, I like cop shows. I, I like, man, Blue Bloods is my favorite one. I, I, I've turned off some of them, but a lot of them are really good. I like cop shows. And in those cop shows, when a, when a crime is witnessed by somebody, when a crime is witnessed by somebody, they might bring in an artist. And the artist will sit down with the witness and they'll say, well, describe. What did his forehead look like? How tall was he? What kind of hair did he have? You know, did he have any facial hair? Was his eyes a certain way? And they'll, they'll sketch out what might be the likeness of the criminal. Or, or better yet, they'll bring in the usual suspects. People that were picked up on the scene of the crime and they'll, they'll parade them in front of a, of a mirror, one-way mirror, and then the witness, he'll look over there and he'll look at each one of them and see, oh, that's the person. They'll, they'll look for features to recognize who committed the crime. Well, it seems that Jude is bringing for, before us a biblical lineup to help us identify the apostate teaching. He's given us some sketches from the Old Testament to show what they look like. First of all, it's Cain. Cain. Cain is the lust for preference. In verse number 11, he said, For they have gone the way of Cain. Now, who is Cain? Cain was the firstborn of all men. Do you remember the story early in Genesis, how that Abel, the firstborn, and his younger brother, they brought sacrifice to God? But Abel brought the blood of the lamb to burn as a sacrifice. And, and, and Cain brought the fruits of the field of his own labor as a sacrifice to God. He wanted to do it different. Abel, Abel no doubt, was trained by Adam who taught him to bring the, the firstling of the field, the lamb for the sacrifice because he had seen his father do that, Adam. And Adam had learned that from God, I believe, when when the the animals were sacrificed to cover their nakedness. And so Abel is going in in what he has been revealed to him to be the proper way to worship God. And Cain, Cain is making it up as he goes. He's bringing the works of his own hands. He wanted to bring the grain and the fruits of his own labor. And God refused it. The way of Cain is the way of personal preference. Personal preference. You know, that seems to be king today. But it is a reflection of high-minded unteachableness. Cain would not, not be taught. He refused to approach God on God's terms. He rejected the blood sacrifice and he hated his brother according to the flesh. This is the preference of those that lord over the Bible and reject, or reject it outright. Those that reject the blood atonement for sin. They teach other ways to God. They dictate their own way to God uh, according to their own preferences. 
These are those that teach by good works. You can, you can please God by so many prayers, by so many candles, by so many Hail Marys, by, by this or that. You can, you can come to God by your own works. This is, the, this is the mindset of the liberal church. Be good, be good, be good. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be good, but at the same time, we're not saved by being good. We're not saved. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're a heap of, of, of pus-filled rags in this. All our best righteousness is filthy rags before God. But this is the, this is the mind of Cain. Make our own reasonable approach. Use our own philosophy. If God's pleased with that, surely He'd be pleased with my labor, my sweat, my, my, my grain, my fruit from the field that I picked for Him. Surely that can make my own way. Notice also Balaam. He said in verse number 11, The way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Balaam is an enigma. Balaam is the lust for prosperity. Balaam is an enigma in the Old Testament, a man who could hear the voice of God and yet could only follow the voice of his own greed. He was hired by Balak to put a curse on the people of God. When God told him not to go even through the lips of a donkey, he continued on. When he arrived, he tried to put a curse on God's people. God changed his cursing into a blessing. When he realized he could not curse the people of God for, uh, for Balak, he devised a plan for the downfall of God's people. Why was he so persistent? Why did he not heed the voice of God? Lust for prosperity. He wanted that paycheck. So much of the cults today are driven with this lust for money. The watchtower tower. You got to sell their magazines. You got to get their subscriptions. The other, other cults, they want to sell you the Book of Mormon. They want to sell you this, sell you that. The, they blind people with false teaching, then forbid them from critically thinking or listening to other arguments. Tie their eternity to their books and literature while the leadership makes billions. Here's a great example from history. Mary Baker Patterson Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, specifically required all of her followers to buy her book. When she needed money, she would slightly revise it, republish it, and then have all of, her, all of her followers buy it again. The next revision. The latest edition. Never forget, false prophets and apostates have at the fore of their mind the money that can be made off of duped followers. We have the, we have the pain, the lust of preference. Balaam, the lust for prosperity. And then finally, Korah, the lust for power. Look at what he said in there. It said in verse number 11, for the reward. And uh, it said that um, after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now this is probably a less familiar story, the story of Korah. Korah was a Levite. He was a member of the tribe of uh, uh, set apart by God to minister to the special needs of the Old Testament, Israel, both in the wilderness and later in the land. He was the cousin of Moses. Moses was of that line. Aaron was the high priest of God. Jude accuses him of gainsaying, meaning to contradict. 
The word pictures vigorous opposition, possibly opposition by act as well as word. It was He was jealous of Aaron and Moses, jealous of God's appointed prophet and God's anointed priest. He, he could not understand why he could not be a priest. Rebellious apostate that was, and he could, the rebellious prostate, rebellious, rebellious apostate that he was, he considered himself every bit as qualified to interpret the scriptures. He wanted to, the power that came with position and led to a rebellion against Moses that ultimately failed and he perished. Number 16, I won't read the whole text, but basically as he fought against Moses and Aaron, it says that the ground opened up and swallowed them. <laughs> the ground belched and, and Korah went to hell. God dispatched judgment upon those quickly for the lust of power. We see that all in the landscape of evangelicalism. Men and wanting to be powerful and lord over the people of God. A biblical similarities. The beastly qualities and the basic identity. And what does is, what is Jude say to all this? Woe! Verse number 11. Woe unto them. Warning to them. Woe unto them. For they have gone the way of these. The word, this woe is the first of many that will come in the book of Revelation, the following book. Revelation 8.3 says, And I beheld and heard the angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are set, which are yet to sound. Woe, God's word says. Not only in the Revelation, but in Jude. Woe, woe unto the apostate church. Woe unto the church of the great harlot. I am telling you, we are in the days of woe. Woe unto the evangelical church that has followed the way of Cain, that has followed the way of Balaam, that has followed the way of Korah. My question to you is, do you find your attitude, your heart's desires in these verses? I don't know why he's got to preach on homosexuality. I don't know why he's got to. I don't know why he's got to uh, target in on these certain sins and target in uh, on that. Is that your heart's desire? Do you find yourself at odds with what Jude is saying here? Do you identify yourself as part of this church and yet you did uh, uh, not arrive through the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ? Are you coming to God another way than by His cross? Preferring the cultural notions that you can dissect God's Word to satisfy your own person, personal likes. Don't be fooled by the false teachers that are so pervasive today. Their vain imagination and foolish hearts are darkened and will lead them to nowhere but the charred walls of an eternal hell. <coughs> if you're here without Jesus Christ, come to Him. That's the only sure way to navigate the stormy days that are ahead. To purify the church and to make it what God wants it to be. Is to know Christ in saving faith. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. The observations in Jude. Jude has his eyes open. 
We as the people of God need to be reminded we've got to have our eyes open. We've got to see how this culture and the world around us contradicts the Word of God. Have your eyes open, church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for Jude's clear admonition to woe unto those that are following in this direction. When the sketch of these men matches our lives, something needs to change. We can't keep going the way that we're going. We've got to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to redirect our path. I can't come to God the way that it seems like I should. I come to God by the revealed Word of God. What He's given to us in His Word. God, I pray that You would help correct our hearts, immunize us against false teaching and false teachers. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Holy, holy, holy is our invitation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus in saving faith, come know Him. Put your faith and trust in Him. Go ahead, Brother Roger. Holy, holy, holy.